It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate patrons who help make the show possible. Big shout outs to, would it be shout outs? Shouts out? Is it like attorneys general? Anyway, thank you to folks like Josh, Mary, Matthew, Elizabeth, Sarah, Kathleen, Phil, Rhonda, Jason, and Marlene. Uh, I appreciate all of the support. I could not do the program without patrons. And of course, they get exclusive content. Uh, the live streams, for example, they get uh, they get audio that gets pushed out to them before uh, it gets put into the podcast stream. So uh, so if you subscribe, you're going to get some of this audio, most of it. But uh, if you're a patron, you get extra. And you get the bumper stickers, of course, which is really why people donate, I think. Okay. Uh, the show is also made possible by great businesses like Mattress Man. Uh, I actually just got... Hang on a second. Let me see if I can pull this up. Because I got a... Uh, a testimonial, as it were, uh, on the Facebook from Todd, who went to Mattress Man after hearing about it on uh, this year program. Mattress Man has four locations. I'm not sure which one Todd went to. Uh, this is in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. And uh, they do ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service, which Todd was very excited about. Here's what he said. Actually, I'm sorry. He sent it to me via Twitter. So he says... Uh, Take Todd, for example. He actually wrote a script for me because I said to him, like, I'm glad you went <laughs> uh, to Mattress Man and told him uh, that you heard it here. Uh, if you tell me how your experience was, I can put it into the live read testimonial. So he did. And he actually wrote the script for me. So let's see how Todd did. Here was, here's the script. Now, take Todd, for example. He's a podcast subscriber, and he heard me talking about the Biltmore line of mattresses, the same great mattresses that they use in their hotels and uh, their inn. And his 10-year-old mattress had divots in it, worse than divots, two side-by-side -side ditches, basically. So he sent his wife to Mattress Man to check out the Biltmore line made by Restonic in Fayetteville, and um, she knew right away that she had found a great new mattress, the same style that the owner of Mattress Man sleeps on. So Chuck, I did not know Chuck had a Biltmore bed. Um, they made her a deal that she could not refuse to include free delivery. Who does free delivery anymore? Mattress Man does. That's who, Todd. And Mattress Man is even going to haul off uh, the old double divot ditch mattress. So when the wife is happy, everyone is happy, says Todd. So there you go testimonial from an actual listener and customer of Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com, uh, a 120-day comfort guarantee. As always, they've got great deals going on right now. The tax refund sale, no credit needed at most, at most, $39 down. No interest, same as cash, 0% APR. Buy now, sleep on the mattress right away, and then pay it off when you get your refund. How awesome is that? As awesome as Mattress Man, that's right. Buy local and sleep better. All right, so... Last night, I uh, watched and listened to the General Assembly come back into session after their weekend recess, and uh, they were taking up this the governor's veto of Senate Bill 37. This is the bill that would have forced schools to offer in-person instruction. That's it. Just offer in-person instruction. And uh, this had passed with enough votes to override the governor's veto in the Senate. They needed 30 
votes to do so. They did not get 30 votes. Spoiler alert, they did not override the governor's veto. So uh, the state senator who ran the bill, Dina Ballard, uh, she started off by you know making her case for overriding the veto. About two hours prior to receiving the governor's veto on Friday, I actually received an email from a family whose grandson, who was a senior uh, in high school in, I think, the Iredell State School Schools, but had committed suicide and left a suicide note simply saying COVID. Kids, our kids and our students have lacked the social interaction and the collaboration of the classroom environment in order to succeed. I am appalled that the governor continues to withhold class in-class instruction to students even as we have moved forward and progressed through vaccinating our teachers. He referenced in his veto the CDC guidelines. And so I w- I'd just like to kind of make a mention of a few of the CDC guidelines real quick. One, um, core principle for physical distancing. This is in the CDC guidelines. Establish school policies and implement structural interventions to promote physical distancing of at least six feet between people. The, uh, the interventions presented in this section provide examples of ways to promote physical distancing and alternatives when physical distancing is not always feasible. Again, it's promoting the distancing, not mandating. And I think the CDC is well aware that sometimes the schools are not in a position where they maybe can do the necessaries or the, the, the suggested social distancing as well. Another CDC guideline, in-person instruction should be prioritized over extracurricular activities, including sports and school events, to minimize risk of transmission in schools and protect in-person learning. So it's safe enough for soccer, it's safe enough for math. And clearly another point, K-12 schools should be the last settings to close after all other mitigation measures in the community have been employed and the first to reopen when they can do safely. Schools should be prioritized for reopening and remaining open for in-person instruction over non-essential businesses and activities. The governor's clearly shown that schools should be open for in-person instruction because businesses can be open. We just opened the bars again. So any district not open that or any district not open that is in North Carolina is out of compliance with CDC because they have open bars and closed schools. Right. So we are out of compliance with the CDC guidelines right now because not all the schools are open, but the bars are. And I'm happy for the bars to be open, but for the party that's like we need to follow CDC guidelines on all of this. CDC guidelines are part of the bill, and you're already ignoring the CDC guidelines by keeping the schools closed. Remember, Governor Cooper said that his top priority was getting the schools open, and that's why he wasn't reopening bars earlier in the pandemic, right? That was the reason why he was keeping businesses closed. He said, if I have to choose between schools and bars or schools and gyms, like, I choose the schools. But he hasn't, has he? So what happened? Where did the votes go? From these three Democrats, there were three of them that had voted with the Republicans for passage of this bill. Well, well, what happened? Where did those votes go? Because it failed. Well, one of them, and I want to give credit to Senator Kirk DeVere, who he maintained his vote. So he voted for passage and then he voted to override his own party's governor because he believed that the bill was important enough, hence his consistent vote. Then there was Ben Clark. Ben Clark played hooky. Ben Clark didn't show for this override vote. Ben Clark 
was a sponsor of the bill, and he did not show for the vote. So because he didn't show for the vote, they don't have enough votes to pass because the third Democrat who they could have used, Paul Lowe, same guy, remember, who smacked a phone out of somebody's hand? Also, uh, allegations against him from former state senator Erica Smith about uh, the way he talks to women and such. Paul Lowe, Democrat, um, he said on Monday afternoon that, uh, quote, after some careful consideration, I will be voting to sustain the governor's veto. Our students and teachers must come back to a healthy learning environment. I hope we can come to a compromise. Afterwards, the News and Observer, this is a great quote they got from him. They asked him, why did you do this? Why did you vote to sustain the governor's veto? What was, I guess, the consideration? And here's what he said. Quote, he asked, meaning the governor, he asked, I am a Democrat. He's the governor and a Democratic governor. That's it. That's the politics of it. It's simply party politics over kids. That's what he voted for last night. His vote was dictated by his party loyalty to the governor. This is disgusting. This is grotesque. And the governor damn sure better be asked about it at the press conference that he's set to hold later in the day today. Will he? I'm not holding my breath just given past performance of our press corps. He then goes on to tell the News and Observer this, quote, I will say this, we have opened up a lot of stuff, all kinds of stuff. We've opened up all these different things, and schools are not open. For some children, it's devastating. Some children are behind, and they won't catch up. Yeah, but the governor needed you, I guess, so screw the kids, right? He recognizes the long-term catastrophic damage being done to these children, and it doesn't matter. At the When the rubber hits the road, he votes party loyalty, which is really amazing. We're going to talk to Rick Henderson, formerly of uh, the Carolina Journal and Reason.com. He's now out on his own doing his own thing on Substack, which is deregulator.substack.com, about... Uh, why Why are Democrats feeling the need to go along with Roy Cooper? Like, what is the politics behind this? It, it, it's baffling to some degree. And uh, Rick will help us break it all down. I talked to him immediately after the vote last night. Now, here's somebody you need to go talk to. It's Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus, for real. Uh, you got springtime coming, and if you are the outdoorsy type, you go hunting or fishing or camping or whatever, then you need to have the right gear. And Tim can help you. He can hook you up with this is top quality. This is real U.S. military surplus. Okay, uh, so this stuff is built to last. Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde on Main Street for more than three decades. The shop is open Monday through Saturday, and it's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. Also, twenty-four-seven at oldgrouch.com. And of course, as always, tell them you heard it here on the program. So uh, Ben Clark, sponsor of the bill, Democrat, did not show up for the vote, so he didn't have to cast a tough vote. Senator Kirk DeVere, uh, who is a Democrat, he remained consistent. Democrat Paul Lowe, he switched his vote and said he did so because the governor asked him to. Meanwhile, test results that were released uh, to the News and Observer, but also to the Board of Education, uh, it's part of their packet that they got, I guess, that uh, they're going to be discussing later in the week. Test data shows that uh, most high school students did not pass their end-of-course exams. Most of them did not pass. 
Test data also show third graders who took the beginning of grade reading test also struggled with about 75% not proficient. Three quarters of the third graders cannot read at grade level now. This is what the left and education activists have referred to as the school-to-prison pipeline. If you don't get these kids educated to grade level by grade three, chances are they're going to end up in prison or they're going to end up in a life of poverty. What the hell are you people doing to these kids? This is coming from a person who doesn't even like the K-12 model, but it's better than hooking people onto the model, growing their dependence on this thing, and then pulling the plug on them, and then just, what, letting them figure it out on their own. The kids have fallen way behind because they keep holding it. See, here's the, this is the true mendacity of this, is that the parents and the kids, they keep holding out hope that the schools are going to, like, just let us back in. Oh, come on, please, just get us back to normal. Oh, we're just hoping to get back to normal. Meanwhile, private schools all over the country, schools all over the planet have been operating for like the last year. And all those kids are getting educated and they're they're moving past you. You're going to be playing catch up for the rest of your lives. And all these parents and kids, they keep holding out hope that, oh, if they just get this one more thing, then they'll agree to to reopen and everything can go back to normal. This is an abusive relationship, people. You're being abused. And all I can do is point it out. And all I can do is say there are better ways to do it. Get off of this K-12 model. Get off of it. Revolutionize education and actually help break this bond, break this dependency. Everyone will be better off for it because this is no way to live. But you know, what do I know? I'm just a podcaster, right? Um, joining me now is Rick Henderson, formerly of Reason.com and the Carolina Journal, and now he is the writer, author, publisher, the purveyor of uh, his own uh, Substack newsletter, I guess is what they call them, deregulator.substack.com. And Rick, good to talk with you again. How are you and how is the, uh, how is the business going? Uh, hey, Pete, uh, great talking to you too. Uh, it's going well. It's uh it's been a long time since I've done uh, nothing but write, and so it's fun doing that again. And uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've been at this now for five weeks. Uh, haven't missed a deadline yet, which when you're the <laughs> when, when you're your own boss, that's a good thing, you know. And you've got, uh, but you do have people depending on you for, for material. Uh, it's it's going well. It's 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 very liberating in its way that I can uh, write about what I want to. Uh, and also, what's interesting are the the, the articles that get feedback. Versus those that don't, and so it's there's something that uh, that's that's nice about this process uh, that uh, allows you to to uh, to let your audience uh, sort of guide the direction you go because uh, something that gets uh, you know forty percent of the viewer or the readership of something else. You probably don't want to hit too often. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's always one of the things that amazes me and has amazed me over the years in radio was you know I'd spend all this time prepping a topic. You roll it out, you pitch it to the audience, and you get nothing. And then you make some offhand comment about, you know, I don't know, the weather. And all of a <laughs> sudden, it's, you know, phone lines light up and everybody wants to talk about it. It's just, it, it sometimes it's more art than science. So, yeah, it, it really is. It was, it was funny. It was it for me, uh, last week, for instance, uh, there was, um, there was a, the excuse me two weeks ago there was the instance of uh, of the auditor 
uh, doing something about uh, an audit about the Medicaid providers. Yep. And about and what happened was I was actually contacting the the auditor's office about the uh, General Assembly's decision to get rid of the program evaluation division, which is kind of the government accountability office of state government. And I wanted to comment. And her her press secretary said, um, I'll, I'll see about that. But, you know, what? we got this audit dropping in 20 minutes. And I said, <laughs> cool. And so I was actually the first place to break that. Now, it was a breaking story, which got absolutely no play whatsoever until about three days later <laughs> but i was thinking hey man i'm on the breaking news desk again this is awesome right and uh, and nothing <laughs> it is one of the challenges same thing with podcasting is recognizing that there is not the immediacy uh, especially in radio there's not that immediacy so and yep. there are pros and cons to that so the nice thing is that i get to actually have longer form conversations with people because the folks who are listening are really interested in the topics that uh, we're discussing. And you and I are kind of in the same wheelhouse here in North Carolina politics uh, and the General Assembly. And so we were just watching the override vote that occurred in the Senate. Uh, Not going to have a vote in the House because the Senate failed to override the governor's veto. So were you surprised that the Senate couldn't muster the votes? Uh, earlier this today, I was, yeah, because I, uh, I posted about it on, on my, uh, on my Substack platform, uh, earlier today. Um, uh, I thought that it was probably that the override was probably going to happen because for one thing, the Senate and the house, uh, both got enough democratic votes with the solid Republican caucus to override a veto if uh, if that you know when that happened because it was going to happen and then all of a sudden during the day we got some indications that it was that that there was some trouble the, the house had more uh had could have lost eight votes and still gotten uh the override through but it doesn't matter because the vote had to originate in the senate and the senate only had a three vote cushion and all of a sudden you started hearing that uh, senator paul lowe for scythe county who was one of the bill sponsors I uh, said, you know, I got some problems with this bill. <laughs> and I say, oh, no. Uh, and and then the governor puts out a statement saying that he was not real happy with the, some aspects of the bill. And the things that he mentioned in his statement were actually one aspect of it was actually in the bill mm-hmm. and the other was pretty irrelevant. And so it was as if the governor said, and as you pointed out, the governor does not wish to give up any of his executive power. He's completely convinced that he should be the person making all these decisions and since through uh an error i think in bill drafting of the emergency management act uh there's a way for him to do this and not have any kind of legislative oversight um then he's taking advantage of this to the max and it and once you get in this kind of situation you have to have bipartisan support in the general assembly to essentially do anything uh, that's that that the governor doesn't like, and it's it's a very dysfunctional system. So you wrote in this piece today, the governor's big day, that this is the this was the most important day of Governor Cooper's political career. So why why did you assess it as that? I probably shouldn't have. He probably somebody in his office saw it and said, "Hey, we got to get on this thing, <laughs> uh, inflating my importance here." Yeah. yeah. Uh, this was crucial because had Governor Cooper lost uh, this battle to keep the schools under his total control, then his leverage would have slipped dramatically. Because since the 
General Assembly has gone from supermajority Republican status in which a solid Republican caucus could override any of his vetoes, and they did almost all of them uh, in the first half of his first term. Since that's happened, uh, and then the, the Democrats cracked into that supermajority, they broke it up, and have uh, he's been able to keep them together completely. That's the only leverage that he's got right now, is that he's got the solid Democratic caucus. As long as he can keep them together, then the General Assembly has to work as hard as it can to legislate in fits and starts, to break the budget up into 20 or 30 separate bills, each of which uh, has some provision that is must pass that can get enough Democratic support that the governor is not dare going to veto. it. Um, and so today was very important because if the school reopening bill veto was overridden, then all of a sudden the governor uh, has been defeated. He, he no longer has the support of all of his party. And there's enough members of his own party who would defy him in a veto bill that all of a sudden he's he's not he's no longer he's not invincible, but he's no longer in the position in which he can dictate state policy. Uh, he's a lame duck. Uh, he's in the position in which he really doesn't have aspirations for other office after being governor. He's, uh, you know, he always gets rumored for, oh, is he a vice presidential nominee or something like that? No, he's not a potential candidate because, for one thing, his wife has said she doesn't want to move to Washington. She, mm. uh, that, uh, she, that, that's why I, I, one of the first pieces I did for the site talked about this speculation that, that he might be a r- potential running mate for Kamala Harris in 2024 or 2028. And I said, it's ridiculous. Uh, not only, you know, the, the, for, for various reasons of, of politics that they're, you know, both sort of, uh, you know, dead fish on the stump. They're really not very good <laughs> campaigners or speakers. On top of that, he has no interest in leaving North Carolina. And so this is the last political position he's going to hold. And he's not really been extremely successful if you think about his priorities and his the inability to get Medicaid expansion through, the inability to junk up the tax code again with all these uh, corporate giveaways and, uh, and you know, crony capitalism uh, uh, aspects that used to be in the tax code, and also the fact that the General Assembly has been able to make uh, connect teacher pay to performance much more than Cooper would like, he's really not been very effective legislatively either. And so this is sort of the only the last bit of leverage he has, and he almost lost it. All right, more with Rick Henderson in a minute. Now, if you have almost lost it over the process of getting your house sold uh, because you have a lousy real estate agent or for some reason, like, it's just a hassle and it's not going well, you listed the house and it's not selling, then here's what you need to do. You need to call my real estate agent, Rowena Patton. She is the only agent that I called. Uh, She's the only agent I've ever actually endorsed in all of my years in radio. So give her a call at 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com and put her and her team to work for you, her all-star powerhouse team. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's got homes at all price points and she's got buyers already lined up. So... Uh, go ask her to get your house sold. It, it will take like a couple days. She was on the Facebook the other day, and uh, she was saying that she had a house that they came on, and within 48 hours, they've got like two cash offers. That's how fast homes are moving in the Asheville area. 
and she will work with you if you're worried about not being able to find, you know, your house to move into. She's able to uh, structure deals to protect you in those circumstances. All you got to do is ask her. Give her a call. 333-4483. Rowena Patton and the All-Star Powerhouse Team. MountainHomeHunt.com is the website. 333-4483. Give her a call and then start packing. So Rick Henderson, deregulator.substack.com is his website. So Rick, you mentioned this term. I've not seen the term mentioned anywhere else in any other media outlet, which is the term lame duck. And he is one. Um, now, how, I mean, even a lame duck can still, you know, move around a little bit. But um, right. and so and so he's still moving around a little bit. But yeah, like his his power is waning very rapidly because what can he promise people if he's not running for something else? I guess he could promise them what fundraising help, because from what I understand, you know, he's got a lot of the connections that he made when he was whipping up the anti-HB2 stuff. And so maybe that is helpful. He's able to generate a lot of money and bring it in for Democratic uh, candidates down ballot. I don't know. He could do that, I, I suppose. The, the the issue that I that I have with 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 his potential to raise to raise money is that uh, he's probably not going to get it from the business community anymore because he's uh, you know, he, he uh has uh, done great harm to the state's hospitality industry Mm -hmm. because of all the COVID lockdowns. So I don't think he's going to get great support from that. And also Republicans held control of the general assembly. So therefore they now have the advantage of controlling redistricting. And I've been a longtime advocate of taking the process as much as possible out of individual lawmakers hands and, making it as neutral as possible, even though they have to approve the eventual maps because the Constitution says so, and that's a good thing. But the problem that that he has is that they can they have this stick that they can now hold over Democrats. And this is what I was thinking would make could, could make a difference. I, I, I use the old term, you know, nice, legis- safe legislative seats you've got there, Democrat. Too bad anything had happened to it. Mm-hmm. And and. That still could happen. It, I mean, there the the only possible leverage Cooper might have would be if somehow he could flip one house of the General Assembly in the midterm election, and um, that's going to be hard to do, and it's going to be even harder to do with Republicans drawing the maps for the next election cycle. So uh, this may well uh, be the, the the apex of his power. Um, and so had he lost today, this would have really been a big blow to him. But uh, he came out on the other side, at least for now. And so we'll just uh, we'll just see uh, where it goes from here. So then let's assess why this was so necessary for him to to win on this measure. I frankly, like I'm I'm kind of shocked at how people are just uh, ignoring or dismissing the 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 inherent contradiction in his statements when he says we need to make sure that the local districts maintain control but we also want to make sure that we mandate how they reopen safely it's a it's an inherently contradictory position nobody seems to care i don't find these these excuses very believable i don't really find it believable like you mentioned earlier the sponsor of the bill the democratic sponsor of the bill now all of a sudden has a problem with it doesn't think his bill addresses what needs to be addressed 
I don't buy that. So what exactly is the motivation here for blocking it? Is it about who gets credit for opening that, the you, schools? You know, that may be what, all that's left. I mean, the, the North Carolina Association of Educators, the teachers union, is very much opposed to returning to uh, to its members being expected to return to the classroom if they don't want to. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Uh, the the uh, Do you know why that the, is? I really don't know. Uh, I mean, as I say, I, I wish I did. I, the only thing I can figure is that the leadership of the union, and I'm not going to say this about the rank and file teachers, because for one thing, two thirds or more of the teachers in the state are not members of the NCAE. Right. But also, I think a lot of rank and file members of the union themselves are, are there for some of the benefits that they get from that, because there are some benefits to union membership there. Sure. But but I think the leaders of the union basically would like it very much if they continued to get paid not to be in a classroom full time. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I think the leadership is, is committed to that. And so uh, by simply, I mean, today, the or Monday, excuse me, the NCAE had a, had a news conference in the afternoon in which they basically said, you know, we got some problems with some of these CDC uh, uh, guidelines on, uh, <laughs> on reopening schools, which is what everything is supposed to be based on. You know, it's supposed to be based on science. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you got the CDC, you know, oh, we don't think these CDC guidelines are, are very good. We think they're way too lax. We got to tighten this stuff up some. And and I made the crack on Twitter. Well, Cooper's running errands for him again because here he comes out with a statement saying, you know, we got to do something about this uh, school reopening bill. I mean, it just—it's—it's it's ludicrous. I mean, it—it's—it's it's almost as if the union says, "Jump," and the governor asks, "How high?" I mean, it, it's—and it's—and it's not even a, a concealed in any way. There's no attempt to hide behind anything because it, if you—if he says we're going to follow the science, we're going to follow the guidelines, he's ignoring the guidelines his own health secretary is putting out, and he's saying that those. Either they're not adequate or he's not paying attention to them, one or the other. And so it's extremely frustrating. And, of course, beyond the politics of this and beyond the general issue of of, of sort of government integrity, you've got all these kids who are yeah. completely isolated. Uh, you've got situations that were discussed during the Senate debate about uh, suicide rates, mental health problems, uh, kids who are. Uh, somewhere on the uh, on the autism spectrum who are who are having all sorts of issues of uh, of completely seeing their development not only halted but just reversed because they're not involved in social interactions I mean there are all these other secondary problems that the that the public health experts have said far outweigh any risk of reopening the schools as long as you provide you know the proper levels of sanitation distancing when necessary I mean all those sorts of things that everybody can you know accepts as, as real mm -hmm. and then you've got but then you still got the, the the teachers union the governor saying well you know we're not real happy with all that we think we ought to keep it closed more I mean in the during the floor debate the person who really disappointed me was the minority leader Dan blue yeah who's who's a very thoughtful person but he was rambling he was throwing it was, he was talking about Leandro, that the, the, the almost now 30-year-old case 
involving school funding as if you know, we need to address Leandro before we go back to school. I'm thinking, are we going to wait 30 years to send kids back to school? What the heck are you talking about, Senator? This, it's just nuts. I've said that uh, if parents and my, full disclosure, I don't know what you know about my views on this, but uh, I am not a proponent or a supporter or defender of the government run K-12 monopoly on education. I would love nothing more than to see it blown up and school choice money follow the kids that that and and give everybody the freedom to choose that's my that's what i would love to see happen but i'm a realist i know that's probably a little too radical for most people but i don't see if i'm a parent with kids in the system right now i don't see this as anything other than the best opportunity to break the, this dependent relationship, because it is, it's a, it's a, and it's a toxic one uh, between uh, the the parents and the students and their their government. Uh, it, it they they were sold a bill of goods, they were promised a bunch of stuff, they became dependent on the government for that service, and now the government just pulled the plug on them, and the kids are suffering, and they can't get their money back to go take their kids someplace else. I I hope. But I don't have much hope. But I hope that this is an opportunity for lawmakers and parents to start trying to tear down this system and replace it with something that's better and revolutionize the model. Um, am I am I an optimist? <laughs> well, <laughs> am I, I, I just wish casting here? Well, you're you're a lot more of a realist than I would have said a year ago about <laughs> this. I mean, that's to be sure. I mean, yeah. I, I think the the re, the response to the pandemic by um, public officials, especially those involved with education, has done more to advance the argument for school choice than anything that's happened in the past 30 years. Yeah. And so I, we, we, we will see legislation debated in this session that would allow money to follow kids. I mean, we, we, will, see, we will see something that will say if a parent is, you know, does not, th- I mean, we, we could, we, we, we may well see something like that pass if kids don't get back in school this year. Well, what, what, we what well... incentive is there at this point? Like Durham, they're wholly owned, I think, by the teachers union because all their leaders yeah. come out of Durham. So right. uh, that, that right. school district, they're not coming back until, um, uh, and you knew this, you knew where this was heading when the Durham school board said, you know what, we're not even going to set up a plan yet until we see what happens with this vote. So they got wind. Right. They, they knew where this was coming and or how it was going to shake out. And they're not reopening. They're, they don't have any plans to reopen for the whole school year. They're, they're, right. they're done. So yeah. uh, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm at a loss because so, what if the numbers do go back up? Will they? Will there there ever be metrics that allow for this kind of hard line? You mentioned, you know, the Leandro reference. They can always find a reason to not open back up. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, goalpost moving has been uh, yeah. a, a great, a, you know, a, a great uh, a great art and science by the folks <laughs> on the left here uh, over the past year, and so they've done a lot of it. But yes, I. I the way I see it right now is that if if most if we don't have something that has all school districts in either you know Plan A or Plan B of this three part uh, school reopening system, if we don't if we don't do away with the your district is virtual only if if that's not out by sometime in mid April and we don't have at least say six weeks of at least some in person instruction in every district in the state then 
the legislature is going to get real serious about having some sort of radical overhaul of the school funding system, which will allow the prospect for parents to take their kids wherever to, to whatever school they want to go to. It right. could be a public school in another district. It could be a private school. It could be, I mean, but yes, the, the per pupil expenditure will go with them where they want to go. And uh, that I, I think that's something that we're going to see. I think it will be taken very, very seriously unless these kids go back to school very quickly. And the NCAE and its supporters are whistling past the graveyard. They think that's not happening. More with Rick Henderson in a moment. First, if what's not happening uh, is yard work around your house because you don't have the right tools, well, easy solution here. General Equipment Rental. Indeed. They're your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. Uh, But also, if you need some tools or equipment just for one job, you know, uh, spring is coming and maybe you want to take down a tree, but you don't want to go buy a chainsaw. Well, you can rent one from General Equipment Rental. You rent it, you cut the tree down, chop it up, have the firewood, and then you bring the chainsaw back. Easy, right? They got generators and mowers and pressure washers and tillers, uh, trimmers, hedge clippers. Uh, They've got leaf blowers. This is for residential, but also commercial purposes. Whatever the project you're looking to complete requires, they can help you. And they're going to show you how to use the tool as well. So you're not going to go in there flying blind. I mean, they don't want that. They don't want you busting up their tool, right? So, uh, but they're going to show you how to use it, uh, which means you'll get the job done quickly and correctly and then it's done so go to general equipment rentals support the businesses that support the show general equipment rental general is the website they're in weaverville at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road family owned and operated for three generations these are great people uh so go in tell them you heard it here on the show tell them pete sent you general equipment rental in weaverville general and think outside your toolbox so what do you, you mentioned the Emergency Management Act earlier. Do you think there is going to be any movement towards amending that in the General Assembly this session? I think the likelihood of it just went up. Mm. Uh, I, I Because I, I've written about this as well, and I've gotten the sort of response I've gotten from legislative offices uh, is – well, you know, we don't think it's time yet. It's almost it's it's kind of like the 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 situation with with uh, the Biden administration and 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 all the non happy talk about COVID, even though some wonderful things are taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, as soon as he gets uh, his uh, COVID bill through, all of a sudden things are going to look really good. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're making this miraculous progress now that I got this. You know, Right. Giant piece of legislation, uh, using that term very loosely through, you know, through Congress. Uh, we're not going to have any happy talk about COVID until I get the, the one point nine trillion dollars out the door. Um, I think that we'll, we'll see something similar to that uh, with emergency management, quite possibly, is that the, I think the legislative leaders uh, wanted to keep their powder dry until they saw how the school vote went. Mm-hmm. Now, may, I'm, that, that may be wish casting on my part, but. I was I, I was hearing a lot of grumbling about the Emergency Management Act last fall and in the earlier part of the winter, and all of a sudden it started dying down. And part of it may well be that the General Assembly was thinking, well, you know, spring's going to come along and the schools are going to get back up, open again. And this is something that we're not going to be able to, that nobody's going to care about because they're going to forget it. But if we go into the summer and we haven't had in-person schooling in a lot of the state for a, for the better part of a year and a semester, 
Uh, they may rethink that. So why would the governor, if he is in a lame duck period now, why wouldn't he just say to the NCAE, I don't need you anymore, right? I'm, I'm done. So why, why is he still dancing to the tune that they call? Well, in part, the Democratic Party in the state has been looking for somebody to be their, uh, their guiding light, if you will, uh, since uh, as, as Jim Hunt's getting older. Mm-hmm. And Jim Hunt has been the person who has been, if not calling the shots, at least being the, the, the Yoda figure, if you will, hmm. for, for the Democratic Party in North Carolina now for the better part of 40 years. And um, as someone has to, someone is going to have to succeed him. I mean, he he may, you know, he may live to be nine hundred years old. Like I don't know, <laughs> but but if if he doesn't, then the Democratic Party will need to have someone. Much as the Republican Party has been always looking for the next Reagan, and you know, sometimes you don't, you you can get stuck if you do that. You know, mm-hmm. you you if you if you're if you're looking to the if you're looking to someone from your past to be your guiding light, uh, you may ignore the fact that there are people out there right now who uh, can provide an awful lot of wisdom. And But the Democratic Party is looking for the person to be the next old hand person you go to to get the, the, the advice and the guidance you want to. And I think that the governor wants to have a, an, you know, an informal role with the party after he's gone because he's, he can't, he's not going to be going for another elective office. So if he stays in the good graces of the NCAE, then uh, maybe that they will, uh, you know, use his uh, look to him for uh, endorsements for candidates who are running for office or things like that. I mean, are there other interest groups uh, on the left who, you know, want that? And then there, then there are the the trade associations and the like who are essentially um, nonpartisan. They just, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're they're going to go with whoever's in charge. They're right. Gonna, they're going to make sure that they don't burn bridges on with you know with either party. So uh, he, he wants to, to be uh, that that sort of figure. You know, he would love to have the, the Roy A. Cooper Center at, uh, you know, at, at, uh, at UNC, much as you know, Jim Hunt has the, the center at NC State. He'd, he'd love that sort of thing. And mm. so uh, I don't know that that's going to be possible, but we'll see that. But he, I think he wants to be some sort of elder statesman for the Democratic Party when his term in office is over. Rick Henderson, you can read his writing at deregulator.substack.com, deregulator.substack.com. Rick, is there anything else that you want to add on this that you think is important or interesting to note that I did not already ask you about or we didn't cover? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I guess uh, as far as the, the newsletter is concerned, um, I, I try to have a North Carolina focus on uh, on most of the posts I, I post something every weekday uh and uh the and they're and they're not all they're not all 100 percent politics uh i also uh post music videos not me thank goodness <laughs> but uh and 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 other weird bits of pop culture but um and then occasionally the national issue but with a north carolina angle of some sort but uh, the thing that's nice about uh, about the newsletter is that you can sample it. You can uh, you can subscribe for a free list without you know get on the free list without having to pay for it, or uh, you can support a, uh, a a a writer who hopes to not be a starving writer who uh, who's uh, tra- trying to uh, strike a bit of an independent right of center voice for the state, and uh, 
as as you're doing with uh, with with your podcasting and your radio broadcasting uh, to to uh, provide something that's a, a little bit uh, different uh, and uh, and again has has a voice that's uh, that's quite distinctive uh, and so well that's why you know, I, and that's that. why I wanted to have you on also is because I know that what you're trying to do and I think it's it's an important voice that we want to keep you here in the state you got a lot of institutional knowledge you know where a lot of bodies are buried. And so, uh, like, honestly, and, and that's one of the biggest problems in, in a lot of markets, you know, in our small mid markets where, uh, you know, you got reporters that come through. It, it, it is better now, I think, than it used to be. But uh, it was one of the problems, you know, even when I started down in Charlotte, you would have reporters that would come through and then they'd be off if they were good. Right. They'd be off to a bigger market and you right. lose a lot of that institutional knowledge. And then it, it gives the politicians sort of the you know, the run of the hen house. And that's, that, that's no good. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so we want to support you in what you're doing. And I appreciate you making time and hanging out with me tonight after the, uh, after the big override vote, that was kind of disappointing, but I'm a pessimist, I think. And I kind of expected it. Uh, <laughs> I just, I don't I, ne- I never expect to win. Maybe it's the, the, the libertarian in me. I just, I never yeah. expect to win this stuff. <laughs> you, you hope you move the ball down the field a little bit, but once you get into scoring in the red zone, uh, uh, man, <laughs> don't yeah. run the ball. Throw the ball. Come on. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing? What are you That's doing? That's right. Uh, All right. Rick Henderson, deregulator.substack.com. Uh, again, thanks for the uh, for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pete, so much. Really appreciate it. All right. Now, here is something you'll appreciate. Grower's Hemp CBD. It's actually full-spectrum hemp extract. Add it to your daily routine and discover what it can do for you. What are you looking for? A better quality of life, a balanced state of mind, uh, immune system resilience, deeper sleep, lower tension. I take a couple of these drops every night before I go to bed. I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. And uh, I mean, I credit the uh, grower's hemp to it because I notice the difference. So uh, the best quality at a price that's affordable, and they can do this because they control the whole process. These are North Carolina farmers that said, you know what, why don't we do this? We're family farmers, and uh, we've seen the way some of these big boys come into town uh, from California and such after hemp got legalized in North Carolina, and they're like, we don't want to do business like that. Let's Let's save our family farms, let's grow hemp, and let's control the process from seed to shelf, and that means you get better quality at a lower price. And as with all products that are CBD, i got to read the GovCo uh Statement here that uh, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research, and these products are not intended to diagnose, uh, diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider, so consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. You can find it, by the way, on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the Medical Pharmacy in Locust, the Durham Co-op, but if you go to the website growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE, you'll get 20% off. That's growershemp.com, promo code PETE for 20% off. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp, it's about the hemp and not the hype. So Governor Cooper, in explaining his uh, veto, 
in a statement that he put out yesterday before the veto override vote. He said that the question is whether we can reopen schools safely. He says, quote, the bill allows middle and high school students to be in school without following DHHS and CDC guidelines on social distancing. He said he would like for local districts to have control over the decision to return to in-person classes so they can make adjustments if coronavirus cases surge again. This is the inherently contradictory messaging that nobody seems to recognize or care about. I'm not sure that the districts should be trusted to open to make these decisions on when and how to reopen, but they can't be trusted to implement six feet of distancing. That they have to be told by the governor and the General Assembly in passing this bill, right, that they have to be told you must follow the CDC guidelines, that you have to do this. But at the same time, the governor is saying we need to trust the districts that they'll make the best decision on how to reopen safely. It's an inherently conflicted message because because it's not the real point. This isn't the message. They're trying to make the safety argument. But in my opinion, what this is really about is protecting his power. And I went over this the other day, that he is trying to prevent the General Assembly from taking back any of the power that he has been exercising. He's trying to protect it. And while it is fair to, uh, you know, to say that an executive branch elected official is trying to protect and preserve executive branch authority, uh, if you're using that authority in a way that is not constitutional, then no, you should not be able to protect that that power, right? So he's slow rolling the uh, the reopening of schools. Why? Could be about claiming credit. So this way, he, you know, the Republicans don't get to be the ones that say we reopen the schools. He wants to do that, but. He's got to make it believable, and he's got to get the NCAE on board. So what do you do? You push him to the front of the line for the vaccines, which is what he did. And now you're going to give him another two weeks, three weeks, get a lot of teachers vaccinated, and then he'll be able to say, now we can reopen safely. Now everybody should be reopening safely, which, by the way, Durham Public Schools, they went remote only for the rest of the year. Right. They said this. They voted on this. The Board of Education. In fact, last week they met and they were like, maybe we should come up with a reopening plan because this bill looks like it's going to pass. And then they were like, well, let's not be rash about this. Let's wait and see if the veto gets overridden or not. So they just they just froze everything, just waiting to see what the legislature would do, because they had a pretty good sense that it was not going to be overridden. Durham is ground zero for the NCAE. Their leadership, the statewide leadership, comes out of Durham, okay? And what does it tell you that Durham is still shut down and has no plans to reopen for the rest of the school year? What does that mean? That tells me that either the Board of Education is completely at the mercy of the NCAE, or nobody trusts the school district to reopen safely. Isn't that an amazing thing? Like, You don't believe that the Board of Education, that you guys ostensibly control, that you don't think that they're going to be able to open safely. So is that an indictment on them personally? Or is it or is it of the uh, does it come from a belief that nobody can reopen safely in your estimation? NCAE, who, by the way, applauded the governor's move. Here's their um, 
Where is it? Their statement here from the, uh, yeah, Tamika Kelly, Tamika Walker Kelly, the president of the NCAE, said that uh, our politicians are not thinking of innovative solutions to all these problems. Uh, They are perfectly fine pushing public school educators and employees into school buildings without the six feet of physical distancing, which does not comply with the CDC uh, guidance. Okay, not all grade levels have that guidance. See, they're purposefully conflating. If this is confusing, by the way, I, I understand. It's confusing to me, too. But they're purposefully conflating grade levels with guidance from the CDC on what distance need there needs to be. Is it three feet? Is it six feet? And the plan A and the plan B and the plan C and what districts are open? Oh, but we got, you know, uh, 90 of the 115 are open, right? They keep throwing around all of this data to do what? To confuse you into thinking that schools are opening, but not really. That's the point, because I really do believe that most of this argument is going on. And yes, there are politics involved in it. I think that's there's a heavy dose of it, if you know, you know, not the majority of it is politics. But I think it is being driven by the power and the success of panic porn, whipping people into an anxiety driven fear over uh, over catching and dying uh, from the coronavirus, right? Catching it and dying from it. When in actuality, the real risk is very, very low for, in particular, the demographic that are teachers. And it's almost non-existent among kids, the younger grades. Now, I understand there's difference for the high schoolers and such. Um, but do you think the high schoolers, do you think they don't know about the three W's and all? And do you and you want me to believe that teachers somehow or another cannot enforce these six foot guidelines because they can adopt those guidelines. The boards of education can say we're going to reopen with the in-person option and we're going to mandate the six feet, make sure everybody stays apart. They can do that. But what they want us to believe is that they can't be trusted to do that while at the same time we should trust them to control the reopening. It's an inherently contradictory message. Maybe somebody will ask the governor about it. I'm not holding my breath on it. Now, real quick, the Senate leader, Phil Berger, told reporters, according to the News and Observer, that there could be another bill to reopen classes. He says, I don't know what it would look like. Um, I don't think we'll just say, though, that this is it. I hope not. That is a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Remember, subscribe to the podcast at thepetecalendarshow.com. And thanks so much for listening and for the support uh, for low this many year. It's been a year. (laughs) We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 